Today on Blue 58, suddenly we are almost a week into training camp. The Packers' first preseason game is barely a week away. What do we make of the team so far? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. It's been fun to get caught up on training camp, and getting caught up is most of what we're going to do in this episode. Because of how we did things last week, we've been off for a while while training camp has unfolded. We released our last positional preview on the first day of training camp last Wednesday, Then I gave you something a little bit different for Friday because we were supposed to be on vacation. Unfortunately, that didn't end up happening. We had some sickness in our family, so we were unable to do any traveling. So we did a lot of just sitting around and enjoyed being off the grid a little bit. But that meant that I was not following day by day what was going on in training camp. So Monday, I got to kind of mainline it all at once. And I felt like Neo waking up from getting all the information dumped into his head, just like... (gasps) I know the whole roster. I know Kung Fu in there too as well. There's just so much going on in training camp. And fortunately, the very best thing has happened in training camp so far. No, knock on wood, significant injuries. Now, we haven't gotten to see much of the like day three receivers that the Packers have added. That, of course, is a bit of a bummer. But it is still early. Pads have barely just come on. It's okay if things take a little bit of time for some of the day three guys to come along. First preseason game is weekish away. There's still time for everybody to settle in. So let's get caught up. Let's talk about everything that's been going on in training camp so far. I think there's really three things we need to cover. First, the Packers have added a bunch of new players since camp has started, four by my count over the past week or so, including one guy I think signed just before camp started. Then I want to talk about the two or three, maybe four biggest storylines in training camp so far. And then I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the interesting nuggets that I've pulled out of other people's reporting on what's going on and maybe expand on some of the things that they've reported a little bit based on what we know as well. So starting with the new players the Packers have added, we first have to talk about Cody Crest. And we're not going to go super in-depth on any of these guys because the reality that most is that most of them are going to just be camp bodies at the very best. Uh, the Packers need these guys, especially at positions like wide receiver and center, which is, well, it covers everybody the Packers have signed, just to continue to have practice because of the injuries that they have there. And, well, it'll make sense as we talk through the guys that they've added so far. So Crest, six feet tall, 193 pounds, finished out his college career at Sam Houston State was the number 99 receiver in Dane Brugler's Beast this spring, for whatever that's worth to you. Just a little speed burner type guy. Very athletic overall, but again, pretty pretty small as far as the receivers the Packers have traditionally favored in the Matt LaFleur era. The Packers have offered a bit more flexibility on that lately. Bo Melton, for instance, has been having a really good camp. He's on the, the smaller side of things, uh, reportedly having a good camp. I don't know how much it really counts when you're mostly not in pads and whatever. And, of course, Jaden Reed, the second-round pick this spring, breaks that tendency pretty firmly as well. So Crest at least has some some sort of other archetypes to look at on the Packers roster. He's not just one of a kind on the Packers roster. Crest is especially interesting because his father had a very, very short, short stint with the Packers in 1981, signed as an undrafted free agent, out of the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse after the 1981 draft. 
It's a bummer that Grant DeBose has number 86 because that was the number that Craig Crest wore. It would have been neat if his son could have worn that as well. As it stands, he's wearing number 82. Packers wide receiver coach Lou Carpenter said that, you know, at the time, at least according to what I was able to find online at newspapers.com, that Craig Crest was a hard worker and that he did a good job sticking with things through training training camp, dealt with a couple injuries in the time he was with the Packers uh, from when he was signed after the draft, through minicamp, um, and through training camp, he had bronchitis, a broken finger, and a strained knee, and obviously didn't end up making the roster, but boy, had the cards stacked against him, in addition to coming from a pretty small school in UW Lacrosse. In any case, that is the connection there for Cody Crest, uh, potentially another camp body for the Packers. Sticking on offense, as we have with all the Packers signings so far, they've also added James MP, a six foot three, two hundred ninety seven pound first year player. Has not spent time really on an active roster to a significant extent. Was active for a game with the Miami Dolphins last year, but did not play. Was originally signed by the Dallas Cowboys as an undrafted free agent after the twenty twenty two draft. Was released by the Cowboys after training camp. Spent the rest of the season on the Miami Dolphins practice squad. Was a longtime player at BYU, two-time captain, started all 41 games in which he appeared, some centered depth. For whatever it's worth to you, I always find sustained interest from other teams fairly noteworthy. Now, he was a free agent for a reason, too, but the Cowboys and the Dolphins both thought he was inter- or worth bringing in, and if nothing else... You can say about the Cowboys in in my and Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy knew how to add some offensive line talent. He always handled the, the Packers' offensive line pretty well there. The Miami Dolphins, too, from that Shanahan tree with Mike McDaniel there, there is some natural fit there, too. So, again, he was a free agent in the middle of summer, an undrafted free agent last spring, but it's not like he's been just sitting around here either. Interest from other teams, again, somewhat noteworthy. Staying on offense... Six foot two, two hundred and thirty-four pound Dre Miller or Andre Miller, depending on which source you use out of Maine, joined the Packers as a bit of a surprise today. Uh, he is considerably heavier now than when he came out of Maine. Was listed at around two hundred twenty pounds at, at their pro day. He spent some time with the Giants, who had switched him over to tight end, which I think explains the the weight increase there. But right now, just fits the mold again of another big-bodied receiver in the Matt LaFleur mold. He, he likes those big receivers, and he's got another one in Andre Miller while the rest of the receiver room sort of sorts itself out in injury land. Finally, and perhaps in a way most notably, the Packers signed or re-signed Cole Schneider uh, this week as well. He's back after a stint with the Packers last year. In the meantime, he played in the USFL, was a teammate of Alex Magoo, the book on him coming out, as we, we said and wrote and talked about at the time, was that he is a mid-size, smallish center with mid-size athletic gifts. 6'3", 309 pounds out of Central Florida, relative athletic score of 655, good in the 10-yard split, which is what the Packers always look for, bad in the agility drills, another camp body for the Packers to really fill out their roster while they go through these training camp practices. Now, the big storylines in training camp so far really, to me, center around three on offense and one on the defense. The first is Jordan Love. We really should talk about Jordan Love a little bit here, and I don't want to go too deep into Jordan Love because, one, 
scouting based on training camp reports is, I think, a, a flawed idea for reasons that should be pretty obvious. Two, even if you're in the stands watching practice every day or on the sideline watching practice every day, I'm really not sure what he's actually doing on the field matters all that much because of what Matt LaFleur has said about Jordan Love. So this is what I think really matters for Love, the process. And I think that because that's what Matt LaFleur says about him. Here's how LaFleur had summed up uh, Love's training camp so far. I think this was after the third training camp practice. I should have written that down when I got this quote, but it was just from general press availability. He said, quote, everything that we look at in regards to that position, quarterback, or really all the positions is just the process behind it. I'm not so caught up in the end result right now. Obviously, we are in a results-oriented business and they are absolutely critical, but I'm just a firm believer philosophically that if these guys have the right process and going through their reads the right way, throwing with the right rhythm and timing, it's going to lead to a better result. That's where the sole focus lies with him and, frankly, all of our players, end quote. Now, that's an encouraging thing for a couple of reasons. First, he's not getting hung up on, on what Love is doing in practice, which I think is fair because there's a lot of new pieces getting integrated with Love right now. Secondly, it's just an encouraging thing, I think, to hear from Lafleur overall. That's something we talk about. This this very idea is something we have talked about at length on this podcast many, many times. The process versus results matrix. Ideally, what you want to have is a good process that leads to good results. And more often than not, a good process should lead to good results. That is the desired and expected outcome. Sometimes you can have a good process that leads to bad results, but at least you're fundamentally sound there, and really all that ends up being is lucky. And if you have a bad process that leads to bad results, then you're the worst thing of all. You're probably dumb, and you're also unlucky. And then I guess even worse than that is getting good results with a bad process because then you're just reinforcing bad things that you're doing, either as an individual player or organizationally, that's not a sustainable way to play. That's not a sustainable way to build a roster. Roster. So I love that this is what Lafleur is focusing on for Rogers, or for wow, for Love right now. That's going to be a habit we have to break. The process is for Love, not for Rogers. It's preseason time for podcasters here too, I guess. I the the process though is what matters. And thinking back to how Love played in two well. I'll give you two examples here. The most extended playing time we've seen from Love has come in three games, really. He got the start against the Chiefs in 2021. He got about a half of playtime against the Lions in 2021. And then he got the extended burn down the stretch against the Philadelphia Eagles last year after Aaron Rodgers got injured. I'm going to kind of throw out that Chiefs game for a couple of reasons. First, the Chiefs had all week to prepare prepare for Jordan Love, really. But Jordan Love really didn't have all week to prepare for the Chiefs. Why was that? Well, because Jordan Love didn't really have Devontae Adams until late in that week. They really didn't practice at all together. On top of that, it was his first extended playing time in the NFL. On top of that, it's on the road. That's a tough situation for anybody to go into. So I think we can kind of give that one a bit of a pass. It's it's a bit of a wash. So if you, if you really want to hammer love for that one, you can. I'm not going to be right there with you. However, 
looking at Detroit and looking at Philadelphia, I think we can see two things with Jordan Love. Detroit, he had a lot of time to prepare. And even if he didn't have necessarily all the, the big guns playing with him, he was there ready for playing time in essentially a preseason type situation. And I think what we saw in that game was a lot of skittish Jordan Love, a couple of bad decisions. Both of those interceptions were not not great results uh, and, and not great process for Love. Trying to make something happen, but just could not. And in two essentially game-winning drive situations, it was not – he didn't look comfortable. He didn't look collected. He didn't look like a guy who had control of the process. But you compare that to Philadelphia – that game, Love is in and out of the huddle. He's making checks at the line. He's dropping back. Back foot hits and the ball is out. Boom, 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 boom. That's a guy who's in control and in command. And I think even after the game, that was the the big thing we talked about is being different with Jordan Love is just command of the process. And if you've got command of the process, the results should take care of themselves to an extent. That's the that's what Bill Walsh always said. Uh, Either his, uh, well, one of the books that he wrote about football is The Score Takes Care of Itself. He was all about process, building correct processes, training people to think in a process-oriented way. And all of the great coaches come down to that, too. Vince Lombardi, as we read through When Pride Still Mattered for the Blue 58 Book Club, is all about process, wants people to do the same thing, the same thing, the same way, every single time. Uh his, uh, I guess, colleague, Tom Landry, and competitor with the Dallas Cowboys, was very similar. He, he had his players do things differently, but he always wanted guys to be thinking their way around the football field. Here is your process. Here's what you do in this situation. And if you get this look, here are the things that you can check into. And I want you to be able to check into those things knowing that you have the knowledge to do what you need to do because you understand the process. The process is what matters here with Jordan Love, and it, it's going to matter in the regular season, because when things don't go well, falling back on that process and building off of it is how you get to a successful result. So the process focus is really big for love right now. Second big storyline, I think right now is the offensive line competition. And really, we should basically rebrand the offensive line competition to the Zach Tom show. Zach Tom has taken number one reps at two positions where he was at least nominally not the preferred starter heading into training camp. In theory, Josh Myers, well, not in theory for Josh Myers. In fact, Josh Myers was the starting center coming into training camp. And Yash Nyman, it seemed at least on paper, was the number one center, though we did expect some competition there. Tom has taken number one reps at both right tackle and at center as of today. And I wasn't sure we were going to get there at center. Uh, given what some of the early reporting out of training camp was and what we'd seen all offseason with the Packers kind of sweeping the the center competition under the rug that they themselves had kind of propped up as an idea. But here comes Zach Tom, able to start at two different positions here. I think the big question is, do you value Josh Myers at center more than you value Yash Nyman at right tackle? I think if it comes down to a decision between having Myers on the field and having Nyman on the field, you put Nyman on the field and upgrade at center because then you're stabilizing, I think, two positions that were, uh, in theory, weaknesses coming into this training camp. If if Tom can play center 
and you can still have Nyman at right tackle and feel comfortable there, I think you're in pretty good shape. The only hesitation I would have about putting Tom at center is if you really think he's a tackle long-term, and the Packers seem to, what are we waiting around for? If you think he's the tackle of the future or a tackle of the future, either at right or left tackle, why not get him out there right now? Because that's a more valuable position if that's where he's going to be playing than, than just having him at center. I don't think that's a conflicting thing to say. But maybe they just want to, I, I think it's legitimate to also just look at it and say, we just want to get this one year out of Yash Nyman, really get a good eval on him. And then when we have decisions to make on David Bakhtiari next spring with his big cap hit jumping up or his cap hit jumping way up, and then Yash Nyman at right tackle being a free agent, you can really make an informed decision. I don't know if that's the strongest case in the world because the Packers already have plenty of tape on Yash Nyman, but if they're thinking of, say, I don't know, if David Bakhtiari leaves, Yash Nyman at right tackle and, say, Zach Tom at left tackle, well, maybe you do want to get some evaluation of Nyman on the right side. Having more tape never hurts, I suppose, but in any case, it seems to be Zach Tom sort of shaking up the entire offensive line here. Interesting to watch so far. The third storyline, and this is less a storyline than something people seem to be talking about and fixating on a little bit, and I just got to push back on it a little bit. Uh, Let me just not even set it up as a storyline. Let me just say it this way. People are way too hung up on the idea of the Packers rookie tight ends not blocking well. Now, it was a knock on Luke Musgrave coming out that he was not a great blocker in times or in in certain situations, not even a very good one. And even on this show, we've talked about Tucker Craft needing some time jumping from the level of college football he was at to the NFL, needing some time to grow as a blocker. Don't misunderstand me, though. I am not worried at all about how these guys block, either as rookies or even long-term in their career. Why? There just aren't that many tight ends that are plus blockers in the NFL. I'll even prove it to you. I'll run the numbers for you. Pro football focus is, you know, controversial in some ways. Take their grades with a grain of salt, but they are an interesting data point. On Of tight ends who had 250 or more run-blocking snaps in the NFL last year, How many do you think had a run-blocking grade of 70 or more? 70 is not a great grade. That's like basic starter competency. How many tight ends do you think had a run-blocking grade of 70 or better last year? It's not a long list. It's a very short list. There were, in fact, just two names on it. Now, that is a bit of a downturn from previous years. Using that same same standard, in 2021, there were nine. In 2020, there were also nine. In 2019, there were seven. In 2018, there were six. But that's not even half of the teams in the NFL. That's barely a quarter of the teams in the NFL in a good year that have a guy that's blocking at a grade 70 or better. Mercedes Lewis didn't even hit that last year. Of those five seasons we looked at, There have only been four instances of guys cracking 70 as a rookie. John Bates did it for Washington in 2021. Adam Troutman did it for New Orleans in 2020. 
Dawson Knox did it for the Bills in 2019, and Dallas Goddard did it for the Eagles in 2018. And of those four, only Goddard ever did it again. Rookie tight ends blocking is not a big deal, and it's not something that the beat should spend any time being worried about. It's not something we as fans should spend any amount of time really being worried about. And it's not something I think you should be looking at as a primary skill set for a tight end in general, because there are just so few guys that do it well in the NFL. Do it really, really well. Do it in a way that makes a difference. Let's put it that way. Tight ends are not designed to be plus players as run blockers. They are designed to be mismatch creators. They're supposed to be too big for defensive backs and too fast for linebackers. That's really what it comes down to. It's about how you use them, where you deploy them, what you scheme around them, than what you actually have them doing. Because there's, there are very few tight ends that are like true difference makers as receivers, and there are even fewer tight ends who are true difference makers at, at blocking. But there are also very few tight ends that are matchup creators worth paying attention to. And that, I think, is what the Packers really have on Luke Musgrave and possibly Tucker Craft here as well. Musgrave, even if he's not that great of a blocker, even if he's never a great blocker, is six foot six, 250-something pounds, and can run like a deer, albeit maybe the baby giraffe version of a, of a deer. Does not run super gracefully all the time. Um, and I speak, that, I speak that with love as a former tall tight end who did not always run with supreme grace either. He's a matchup creator. That's his job. His job is never going to be to be an elite blocker. The job of a tight end is to be a good enough blocker so that when you line up in a three-point stance at the end of the offensive line, the, uh, the opposing team has to at least acknowledge that. You have to be a good enough blocker to erase a defensive back when you're split out in the slot or if you're blocking in space. Just get in a way. Get in the way. You don't have to be a plus blocker. Just be good enough. Don't let yourself get hung up on the fact that the Packers' tight ends are not great blockers because it really just doesn't necessarily matter all that much. Finally, and this is a smaller one, but there was some concern about Lucas Van Ness coming along slowly, and this is more of a frustration, I think, with the way the Packers do things than the way whatever his possible hangups or issues might be. But the Packers just don't really play rookies in a starting role right off the bat from the get-go. It's big football brain stuff. Got to earn your spot, this, that, or the other thing. I don't really know. But it feels like it's finally coming around. There was a mild concern from some of the stuff that I read getting caught up on training camp that, I don't know, was he coming along quickly enough? I just don't think that that, that is that big of a concern. And now, as the pads have come on, he's gotten some more reps with the with the ones right away. So really kind of a tempest in a teapot anyway. Lucas Van Ness is going to find his way to the field because he has to. Uh, even if he is not as polished as a Justin Hollins, just not being a veteran, or maybe even as experienced as Kingsley Inigbari, just because he's a, a first-year player and not a second-year player, he still is miles ahead of both of those guys physically. You've got to be able to find something for a guy like that to do on the field. There has to be something. Has to be something that Lucas Van Ness can do for you out there.
I've got a few story, uh, a few nuggets I want to talk about here. But first, I want to give a shout out to Patreon supporters Minnesota Fats, Papa Rooster, and Alex Gesh. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter too at Patreon.com/slash/ThePowerSweep. You'll get access to our fabulous Discord server, as well as some bonus content that should come your way about once a week. We were wa- we were off uh, last Friday just because of vacation stuff. But this Friday, we'll be back with the final installment of our Let's Buy an NFL Team series, seeing what we'll do if we actually had a chance to put together a front office. I've got some thoughts, and I think it's going to be a fun process to work through, if nothing else. And if Patreon doesn't do it for you, check us out on Substack, thepowersweep.substack.com. You'll get all of our writing delivered directly to your email inbox, as well as bonus content, and you get access to our Discord server there as well. A couple ways for you to support the Power Sweep. And a couple ways for you to engage with some other Packers fans from around the world, which is just as fun, I think, as anything that we put together, podcast or writing or otherwise. So a couple other storylines that I wanted to talk about, just some interesting nuggets pulling out of uh, some of the reporting from training camp that I wanted to react to. First note came from Wes Hodkowitz just today. Wes Hodkowitz, excuse me, uh, talking about Henry Pearson, the true fullback out of Appalachian State. I thought about doing an entire, like, this is your lifestyle retrospective on Henry Pearson, his career, how he came to this point, really digging into the nitty gritty of who this guy was. Unfortunately, and this should not be a knock on him. In fact, it's probably a selling point as a fullback. It seems like Henry Pearson has basically been the exact same person since he was in high school. He just shows up. He blocks people. He catches a couple passes, and then he goes home. He's not really big enough to be an inline tight end. He's not a super-duper athlete, though he's good enough. It's interesting, from a storyline perspective, that the Packers want to add a true tight end, or a true fullback here, uh, to their roster. And he got some snaps with the number one offense today, Tuesday, as of this recording as well. An interesting sort of storyline, I think. Speaking of interesting, Tyler Goodson, the second-year running back, is getting some looks in a versatile role. Paul Brettel of Packers Wire wrote this a couple days ago, quote, Through two days, Tyler Goodson and Lou Nichols seem to be ahead of Lucas, pa- or excuse me, Patrick Taylor for this role, third-string running back. Both Goodson and Nichols bring more upside than Taylor on offense but can fill different roles. During Thursday's practice, Goodson was frequently filling the Tyler Irvin motion role along with lining up from the slot and even out wide, end quote. Interesting for a couple reasons. First, I think that Irvin role is going to become more prominent in the Packers offense this year. We all know that Jordan Love is probably going to be a little bit more agreeable to motion than Aaron Rodgers was. And the Packers also have more body types that can fill that kind of role with Jaden Reed, Bo Melton, Cody Crest, and apparently Tyler Goodson as well. So I think it's only a good thing for Goodson's roster prospects that he's getting some opportunities to fill that kind of role. I thought it was noteworthy, and I don't have a ton of expansion to go with this, but I thought it was noteworthy that multiple people reported Enos Gaines was getting reps with cornerbacks. Now, he did play a lot in the slot when he was on the field for the Packers in the brief stints that he's been on the field for the Packers. But having him work with the corners is, I think, noteworthy in that it is a a departure from where he's been in the past with the Packers. 
We've also seen quite a lot of interesting stuff from a variety of different sources on Samari Ture. Pete Doherty wrote a couple really interesting nuggets in a piece that he did on Ture last week. Here, I'll just read a couple paragraphs for you. Uh, quoting now from the piece, quote, Ture doesn't know why he disappeared in the second half of his rookie season, especially after showing he could help the offense. I'm the wrong person to ask that, he said. When the season ended, Ture stopped worrying about the reasons he wasn't getting on the field. His attention turned to making sure it didn't happen again this fall. It started with rededicating himself to not only the weight room, but the kitchen. Ture always has struggled maintaining weight during the season, attrition wearing him thin as fall turns to winter. He dropped almost 10 pounds from week 1 to week 18 last season, down to 182 pounds. Ending the quote there. First, of note, just as it seemed like his season was ramping up, Ture did in fact disappear last year. Uh, It's not clear why. It seems like it's still a mystery even to him. That would be frustrating, but probably just a reality of professional sports. You can't get an explanation for absolutely everything. And, you know, part of it was probably because Christian Watson was coming on strong. But even with uh, Romeo Dobbs out of the lineup, those reps didn't necessarily turn back to Samori Ture either. But also, I wish I had the problem that he does. I definitely do not have problems maintaining my weight during football season. I especially do not thin out as fall turns to winter. But it is interesting to think of that problem from a professional athlete perspective. This is a another version, I think, of the rookie wall you hear about sometimes. Guys just don't know how to play an 18, really 21-week season. You've got three preseason games and then 18 weeks of the regular season on top of training camp. And then if you go to the playoffs on top of that, that's a lot of football. More football than these guys have really ever played at the level of intensity that they're playing it at. And being able to just maintain your body is more than just lifting weights and sleeping and resting and getting the treatment that you need for whatever nicks and bruises you you pick up during the season. It also apparently comes down to maintaining your weight. And Ture had some struggles with that last season. Of note that he's he's gained some more weight this year. Keyshawn Nixon has some things to say, which seems to never be a problem for him, but asked about his role as a kick returner this year. He had an interesting quote in the locker room, quote, I play corner, he said emphatically from in an article from PackersNews.com. Kick returning is fun, but I play corner. I'm good at it, but I play corner, end quote. Okay, noteworthy. And appears to be right in line for getting first team reps as a slot corner this year. Two more nuggets from training camp so far. Should have probably mentioned it from um, in transactions up top, but uh, Jonathan Garvin, what a mystery there. Maybe not really so much of a mystery, though. Gets cut during training camp. Brian Gutekunst parting with one of his precious draft picks. But I I wonder if Garvin actually just cut himself. Um, because, well, a couple different people reported that he was not at off-season workouts this spring, which he was not at off-season workouts last spring either, so not a big change. But for a guy who sees the Packers add Lucas Van Ness, and two guys that are at least have experience on the edge in college and Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks, you might want to think about attending the offseason workouts. He also apparently didn't make himself available to reporters during open locker room sessions and was in the process of switching positions from edge to defensive line during training camp so far, and then finds himself off the Packers. 
maybe not so much of a mystery, even if uh, the Packers were a little bit cagey as to exactly why they released him, again, on his birthday of all possible days. Finally, I have to ask if punter Daniel Whelan is really in a competition with Pat O'Donnell. Because Bill Huber of Sports Illustrated or Fansided or whatever, whatever they call it now, used the word challenging when describing his relationship to Pat O'Donnell, and it seems like there might be something to that. Here's some of Bill's reporting on it. Quote, punter Daniel Whelan, who is challenging veteran Pat O'Donnell, showed a massive leg. Kicking with the wind in his face as well as at his back, he punted 12 times for an average of 52 yards with 4.57 seconds of hang time. His ninth punt with the wind at his back was an absolute rocket of 64 yards with 5.33 seconds of hang time that allowed the flyer, a.k.a. the gunner, to be in the face of the returner, end quote. Now, we've talked about the philosophical differences between Whalen and O'Donnell, kick it long versus kick it precise. I would favor the Whalen school of things. It remains to be seen how serious the difference is between uh, Whalen and O'Donnell, how serious that competition is. But so far, at least, Daniel Whalen is doing his best to make it an actual competition. And that's an interesting thing to see as the Packers turn over a lot of their special teams, well, all of their specialists, really. Uh, Anders Carlson, not exactly setting the world on fire so far in training camp, uh, but apparently the the first choice to replace Mason Crosby. Uh, they've got a new long snapper, and they at least have a punter in camp who's punting well as they maybe try to make a change there as well. You never know. Early in training camp, anything can happen. As we say every year, nothing is nothing at this point. Training camp storylines uh, may just be nothing, but it's hard to ignore anything as limited as these reps are, as limited as, as the information is coming out of camp. Nothing can really be discounted. And maybe punter competition is nothing, but maybe it isn't. We'll see as these training camp practices unfold. Before I let you go for today, I want to put out a call for questions. I'll mention this in our Discord server, but I'll mention it here as well. I plan to do a mailbag-style episode next time. So if you've got questions, if you've got stuff on your mind, if there's something you want someone to dig into, let me know. The best place to reach out is probably thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com or hit up the contact page at thepowersweep.com. Drop us a note if you got any questions. I'd love to hear from you, and we're going to take as many as we possibly can. And I've got a bunch in the queue already in the next episode. I'd love to have yours in there as well. In the meantime, that is all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.